And then, uh, I, have a, I have a question for you today as we again tackle the issue of David and Goliath and that incredible story from 1 Samuel 17. My impression is from what many have said is that God's really using this in people's lives. And I hope that's the case in your life, uh, that you're really being drawn to the Word of God and being profoundly impacted by it and, and, and enabled uh, to become everything that God wants you to be in Christ. But my question this morning is really fairly simple. In, in the whole story as it is laid out for us, and I'll review it again in a minute, where do you most identify with the characters? You know, what you have is, is a, a, a battle line that's drawn up. The Philistines invade Israel and the army of Israel under King Saul face each other. Goliath comes out, this great uh, champion of Gath, he's called. He's a, uh, he's a killing machine, <laughs> essentially. He said, you know, send me one person and we'll battle it out. We'll duke it out. And whoever wins that battle, and it was Mortal Kombat, whoever remains alive once that is done, that army will win the fight. So if I win, you become our slaves. If, if your champion wins, then we will become your slaves. Um, and along, of course, comes young David, probably a young man in his teenage years, and, and he essentially says to the king, I'll go and fight him. And empowered by God, full of faith, and as we have learned, uh, trusting that God would work through him, David killed Goliath. Um, a, a, an epic story, one of those great stories that 3,000 years later we're still talking about. Because it has spiritual power, right? Very, very significant. But in this dynamic, I want to ask you again, who are you? I hope you're not saying, well, I'm Goliath. You know, that wouldn't be good. I'll just tell you right now. You're not Goli I don't want you to be Goliath. The Bible doesn't want you to be Goliath. You know, the representat representation of evil in our world, representation of the devil and, and his, his dark angels who seek to destroy, and we've talked about those things. There is an evil in this world. It is powerful. It is threatening. Jesus said the devil came uh, to kill, steal, and destroy. Powerful words about an enemy which we have. And if you're in Christ, you have an enemy. That's where we started this whole series some weeks ago. But what about the, uh, the other alternatives? I think they're primarily two. Um, would you say that you identify uh, with David? I mean, is that where you see yourself in the story? Full of faith, full of confidence, tackling the enemy, gaining victory? Are you a mighty warrior empowered by God? Is that who you see yourself as? Is that what's going on in your life? Or are you more like the army of Israel, which is defined in several ways, you know, the idea that they are, they are coward in front of this giant and, and unable to, to, to know what to do and, and, and afraid of him and dismayed by him. These are the biblical words, I think, from verse 11. Let me just, um, just kind of... Uh, quickly give you a couple of verses as we move through the text that describe the scene. Verse 16, first of all, says this. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and every evening and took his stand. That's a long time. Day after day after day, way more than a month. Every single day, out comes Goliath and he mocks the people of God and he mocks the army of Israel. He says, what's the matter with you? Send somebody out to defeat me. You know? Um... It wasn't a pretty thing. Let's flip over to verse, then at the end of this paragraph, verse 24. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. It's like they're running away from, from Goliath like they're a bunch of little children, right? And they're not willing to engage the enemy. They think he's too powerful. You know, they're not gaining victory. They're not, they're not acting in the strength like, like David did, the strength of God and in the trust of God and overcoming they're in retreat. They're in flight mode, terrified, 
by the reality of, of this threat to their lives. Essentially, the army of Israel, and here's the word I want you to hold on today, they are immobilized. They're doing nothing for God and God's glory. <laughs> They're doing nothing to overcome the enemy and drive the enemy off the ground that God had given to them in Judah. Right? They're immobilized by fear and accomplishing nothing for God. Let me ask you again, who best represents you? I'm giving you the option. I'm giving you the option. I want to suggest to you there's a great contrast being drawn in the text. Do you see it? The young, vibrant, faith-filled David who's willing to tackle the enemy with confidence and courage and who defeats the enemy and the army who's fearful and just runs away. I, I would suggest to you we could fit either description potentially today. But that's what I want to talk to you about. I think it's an incredibly important question for us to ask. You know, courage versus fear, action versus inaction, tri triumph versus failure, victory versus defeat. And more than who are you personally, who are we, what are we as a church? What do we represent? How are we acting? What are we doing? In the battle that I have defined for you, from this text. Um, let me share, if you would, just for a few minutes, what I tend to think is going on, not specifically to any of your lives, not specifically to any, to this particular church, but to the reality of the church in Canada. Can I do that? Uh, generally, I think we as the church in our culture are best represented by the army of Israel. I think generally we have become immobilized by fear. You don't have to agree with me on this one. My opinion. Tell me what you think. But let me tell you why I think what I think. The world has spoken, and remember, the Bible calls the devil the prince of the power of the air. Think of it. The, the ruler. The prince of the power of the air. Um, he has come into God's creation, and he has taken ground. Right? God didn't create the world with the devil in it. He came... Genesis chapter 3, he has taken ground. Christ has come to establish a beachhead, and from that beachhead through his church to build the kingdom of God, to take ground back. You know? He, he has come to reclaim ground that has been lost. But the world has spoken loudly to us in our generation, or maybe the last two. And the world has said to us, under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, your message is unacceptable. We don't want to hear it. Um, you can keep doing what you're doing in your places of worship, but don't bring it into what's called the public sphere. Don't talk about, about it outside your building. That's not going to be allowed anymore. We don't want to hear that God has come to us in Jesus. We don't want to hear that he is the only way to the Father. We don't want to hear about a different morality, whether it be a different sexual ethic or otherwise, telling us how to live our lives as if you somehow speak for God. No, we're beyond that. Don't judge us. Don't tell us we're wrong. You see, the world has yelled at us like Goliath yelled at the Israelite army, and it has told us to keep quiet and to remain within the four walls of your building. My friends, I would suggest for the most, most part that's exactly what we have done. The church, like the army, has been immobilized and probably because, first and foremost, because of fear. You know, I, I, look at, I look at our world, and I, and I look at 
even in the last, say, two generations. I'm 57. Can't believe it, but I am. I can only say that for about another month, <laughs> tragically. The gray hair, no, that does, you know. But you know what? In my lifetime, the world has moved from having basically a, a Christian biblical orientation to life. And I see some other gray heads shaking their heads because you remember. When everyone understood life from sort of a somewhat biblical perspective, they knew of a God in heaven to whom we were all accountable. They believed in the heaven and hell. You know, they, they believed in the reality of, of Scripture and, and a morality that grew from that. I was at a conference a week ago, and, and we heard one speaker talking about the fact that instead of trusting this book, now most people in our culture, country distrust it, are suspicious of it because of the harm they think it would bring to our country if we embraced it. That's the reality. You look at most people in our society today, and, and you ask the question, do they understand what we call the Christian gospel? The fact that God, God has come to us in Christ, Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, so that he can build a church for himself, so that the kingdom of God can come in power in this world and transform it into a place of love and of joy and of justice and of grace. And I want to tell you, my friends, most people in this country today do not know that Christian core Christian message. They're completely oblivious to it. And even if it's presented to them, uh, not necessarily in a, in a cultural mindset where they're willing to readily embrace it. Now, has the church succeeded in the last two or three generations, or has it failed? Yeah, I, I think it's fairly obvious. <laughs> Our influence is gone. We are the marginalized ones. We are the ones who are told to keep quiet. Other forces and powers have taken over. Other perspectives have become dominant in the culture. I want to suggest to you, my friends, the church in a general sense, unfortunately, tragically, I would suggest to you is represented by the army of Israel, which is afraid and dismayed, which is hopeless about what the future might hold for it in so many instances, which runs away in fear when the giant yells at it. Let me, let me personalize this, and I, you know, I hate the idea of judgmentalism, I'm, judgmentalism, and I'm not doing this in order to be judgmental. I don't want that. But just to illustrate the point, can I ask you honestly, no hands, no comments, but how, when was the last time you actually shared your faith in Jesus out there with anybody? Yeah, more heads nod, right? We, we don't tend to do it anymore because we're told not to. And because we know we might receive a negative response in spite of what Christ tells us to do. You know, we, we, we come to that place and we've got to ask ourselves again with a question, when was the last time I really identified myself with Jesus? I don't mean, oh, I go to church. I mean, that's a step in the right direction. I get that. I mean going beyond that. So, no, I'm a follower of Christ. And I believe that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross uh, for my sins, I'm forgiven, and I, I'm following him. He is the, he is, he is the Lord. Uh, he has my life. That's who I am. That's not an easy thing to do in this world because the world has told us, don't do it. Don't talk about it. Don't share that out there. So we come together as we should, and we are encouraged, and we're built up in faith, and we can share our faith here, but somehow, and I'm not saying this of everybody, but somehow we walk outside the building and it's like, hmm? Even though the Lord says, go and share me. Identify with me. Take the, my message into the world to see it transformed. 
question I want to ask us today, essentially, is how do we get to be like a David? Here's my point to you today. Every single follower of Jesus who is gathered here this morning can be like him, a mighty warrior in the hand of God, who can, who can strike lethal blows against our enemy. And that's essentially what I, I want to ask you this morning. I just blew my conclusion. But there it is. Is that you? I want to tell you it can be you. It can. You can be, a, you can be mighty in the hand of God, overcoming, defeating the power of evil, gaining victory for the kingdom of God so that the world understands and sees the reality of the God whom we know and love. How do you do that? Well, we've talked already about embracing weakness. This David was not a mighty warrior in the sense of strength and height and power. He embraced his weakness. We've talked about, we've talked about the um, putting on the full armor of God, and I hope every single day this week you did that, and I hope it has changed your life, you know, because that's, that's where the power comes from, if you would. But I want to jump in and look more specifically at the life of David. And I want to suggest, first of all, well, I want to suggest three things. Going more briefly on the first two and, and, and spending more time on the third. But number one, he had experienced the anointing of God in his life. Go back a chapter from what we have been studying to chapter 16. And, and we're going to read verses 12 and 13. They say this. So he sent for him, that's Jesse the dad, sending for David the son, the youngest, and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one, speaking to the prophet Samuel. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Do you hear that? From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Samuel went, then went to Ramah. There's something of great significance here, but I want to tell you very simply, God chose David, God anointed David, God gave David his spirit to enable him to do what he needed to do. So he'd be filled with faith and filled with courage and filled with divine empowerment so that he could be confident that God was with him as he ran toward the enemy and acted so that the enemy was defeated. Um, have you ever asked the question why David's three brothers who were in the army, the oldest being there, by the way, the one who should have been normally anointed in chapter 16, why they didn't run at Goliath and defeat him? No, they weren't anointed. Why didn't King Saul run toward Goliath and take him on in the power of the Lord and do the miraculous or see God do the miraculous through him? Because he wasn't, the anointing had been given to David, right? <laughs> Why didn't all of the army, anyone in the army do this? Because David had been anointed by the Spirit of God. Now I want to tell you, if we want to become at all like David, if we want to become that mighty warrior in the hand of God through whom the power of God can flow, we have got to know the presence and the power of the Spirit in our lives. It is that simple. You and I will not succeed. We as a church will not succeed in our struggle with evil unless we know the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'm not going to dwell here long because our next series is about the Holy Spirit. Uh, it'll come after this one, and we're going to dig into this more. But I've got to tell you, where do you find that presence? Where do you find that Spirit descending upon you? Where do you find the Holy Spirit filling your life and, and, and enabling you and empowering you to live in the way that God calls you to live? All I want to tell you is when you get into His presence, such as this, when you get into His presence on a day-by-day -day basis and put on the full armor of God, 
It is in that place that the Spirit of God fills our being and enables us to do incredible things for Him. You see, so many Christians don't experience God. It's just, it's the saddest, most tragic thing. So many Christians believe the right things, but they're not empowered by the presence of the Spirit. And thus, they never end up running at a giant and gaining victory. They're always running away in fear and in defeat, whether it be sin in their life or otherwise. My friends, I got to tell you, number one, David knew this, and he was empowered by the, by the anointing of the Spirit of God, and he was enabled to do remarkable things for God. We have to be in the same place. Second point is this, and it very simply grows out of verse 23. Let's read that. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Don't ever think that any words in Scripture aren't important. I just want us to focus on those last four, and David heard it. David had just arrived. He had taken the gift from Jesse, his dad, to the army uh, storehouse. It was food. He went to the front line, and this is what happened. And all of a sudden, David, it became incredibly clear in David's mind, the reality of what, <laughs> of who the enemy was. All of a sudden, he just saw this scenario unfold bef uh, before him, Goliath is, is defiant over these 40 days. Over and over again, he is defying the armies of Israel. You know, it's, 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 it's this, this scenario that, that David experiences, and all of, his, all of a sudden, he knew who the enemy was. He understood what was going on. And I want to tell you, a big part of this series that I'm presenting over these weeks is to help you understand who your enemy is. You say, well, Chris, you've said this already. I'm going to keep saying it because when we can take hold of this and we can actively engage the reality which is presented to us in Scripture that we have an enemy which seeks the destruction of our lives and our faith and to bring harm to our world, all of a sudden, then we can do something of significance. So I say to you again, do you know who is behind the struggles that you experience in your life? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And are you engaging this reality? Do you hear it? Do you see it? Do you understand it? And are you doing something about it? You know, I wonder when you look at this world of ours, I'm, not, I, I'm talking obviously today just not about us as individuals and even us as a church, but this world in which we live. When you see acts of evil in, in society, where does your mind go? When you see ISIS parade, I think, 30 Christians on a beach each of those ISIS soldiers with a blade in their hand preparing to slit the throats of those 30 Christian people, where did your mind go? Oh, this is terrible, this is awful. Or did you say, we have an enemy, and that enemy just claimed some victory over there. Evil was behind that. Now, will that enemy ultimately win? No, but on that day, he did a good job, and he probably sat wherever he was sitting with a smile on his face, glad at what was unfolding. You know, when, when, when you hear and see so commonly now this sexual ethic that's taken over our society, that is completely contrary to the word of God and to the will of God, where does your mind go? What do you think? You know, the schemes of the devil are powerful, and the schemes of the devil have been enacted in our country. And they're prominent, those strongholds are prominent in the minds of many people now. It's the work of the enemy, my friends. I could go on. But we have an enemy which is at work in this world. And we have got to see and understand and address it. David heard, he saw, he understood. 
And then point three, and we'll spend a little more time here. David had a, can I call it this, a holy defiance about what God, about, sorry, about what Goliath was saying. There was something that rose up in that young man's life that caused him under the power and direction and in the enablement of God to do something heroic and fantastic for God. Let me read verse 26 to you. This is from the NLT. I just like the way the New Living Translation says that David asked the soldier standing nearby, he's seen, he's heard, he's understood, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? The king had promised great blessing. You can marry my daughter and I'll exempt you from taxes. And he goes, oh, that's interesting. Well, we're going to talk more about that next week. But then he says, listen to this, who is this pagan Philistine anyway? Like, I love that. <laughs> who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Do you hear, the, do you hear it? Do you hear something rising up in him who is, who, who is hearing what's going on and hearing what is being said? And he's saying, how can this man be allowed to, to mock and taunt and to mean and even make a joke of God's army? What he, what he recognizes, it's just not a defiance of the army. It's the defying of the army of the living God. You know, what does it mean to defy? Here's a, here's a basic quote. To defy is to challenge the power or resist boldly the authority of another. You know, Goliath is doing, he's, he's standing up to God's people. And he is standing up to God. He said, I'm not going to recognize your power, your authority in my life. Come on, let me show you something. Let me teach you a lesson. And as David sized up this circumstance, something in him said, this is just wrong. And I, for one, am not going to put up with it. Now, this is different than what's going on in the hearts of everybody else. Remember, they're running away like little children, right? Oh, scary man, scary man. <laughs> and this kid comes along who hears that the armies of God and even God himself, because he identifies God with the army now, right? God himself is being defied. This word defy or defiance is used six times in this one chapter, either descri basically describing what Goliath is doing. He says, I'm not going to let this stand. I don't know what it means, but I'm, I'm going to do something about this. I'm not going to leave it alone. And of course, that propelled him into battle with the giant. My friends, I want to ask you the question, what is going on in your hearts when you see the wrongs that are going on in this world? Fight or flight? <laughs> Holy defiance or resignation? Run away in fear and defeat? or a willingness to engage the enemy using the weapons that God has given to us which are filled, as we have learned, with divine power. And again, ask the question, who are, who are we? Are we the army filled with fear and accepting of defeat, or are we the David who's filled with courage and with faith and with a profound conviction that if I go, go my God will do battle for me. The battle is the Lord's, remember? It's not his, it's the Lord's. And he will engage this enemy, and he will gain victory over it. See, you know, it's really interesting that not only was he defined, if you would, in a, in a, 
in a deep heart sense about what Goliath was saying. He was also um, passionately focused on, upon the glory of God. And all being present, seeing the reality of God and God's power. 45 to 47 says this. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. It's exactly what happened. This is a prophetic moment. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know, will know it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Did you just hear that? He was passionate about the glory of God. He was passionate that people would understand that this God is real and this God lives and this God is powerful and this God is more powerful than any, any old giant which may have invaded the land. I just want to suggest today that it is too easy just to accept things as they are, either in our own lives, sorts of things we've talked about previously, addictions take hold and they seem too powerful for us to heal. Sin takes hold in some way and we can't get over it because it is powerful. Relationships that are broken and we just can't see them being mended. And so on and so forth. All this dynamic reality, we just, do we just accept it and, and live with it because it is? Our struggles, which are not against flesh and blood, but which come from the spiritual realm, from the enemy himself, do we just accept things as they are? Or is there, is there a defiance that rises up in our hearts against what is being said and for the glory of God, that determination? See, what happened is what was in his heart that day produces, produced verse 48. Let me read it to you. I love this. This is my favorite verse in the chapter. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Compare and contrast, people. What's the army doing? It's running away in fright. What does David do? What is he doing? He is running toward the enemy, passionate for the glory of God, passionate to defeat the power of evil which has come into his land, ready to do battle. I just want to ask you again, who are you? I've asked it of myself. Afraid and retreating? Mighty warrior ready to do battle, empowered by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. See, Jesus said when he was with us, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You get that, right? The enemy has come onto God's land and he has built this fortress, if you would, and there are gates which exist. They are strong and they are mighty and they are powerful. And Jesus said, I will build my what? My church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it as it moves out toward the enemy, as it moves out into the world, not staying cloistered. The gates of hell will crumble in the advance of my church. That's what we're here for. That's why we exist. That's the task that God has given us. How many of you have either read the novels or seen the movies about the Lord of the Rings? Hands up, way up in the air. Okay, the rest of you got to get busy because it is a fantastic thing. You just look at the movies if you want. Do you know the movies? And the, it, you know, it's J.R.R. Tolkien is writing about the church. 
You know that? That's what it's all about. But Jesus, Jesus' presence in the world overcoming evil. And in, in, and in the novel, as it comes to the end, in the novels, as, as they come to their end, there we see, uh, and can hopefully some of you envision, the gates of Mordor. This is the place where evil resides. Um, and the whole story, the whole thing, when you boil it down, is about a little hobbit named Frodo. Frodo's not a man, he's a hobbit. And hobbits are little creatures, they're little men, little men. <laughs> and they're very weak. There are other soldiers who do battle in, in this series, but not Frodo. He does a little bit, but it's like, you know, it's not what he's about. He's a weak character, but in his heart there is this profound determination to get into Mordor, to get through those gates. And to do everything in his power to destroy evil at the heart of the city. Everyone else is immobilized. All the other hobbits. They're back in the Shire. Hoping things don't get too bad. <laughs> other people have run away in fright and in fear. But not this little hobbit. Because something has taken hold of his heart. And it is a, passionate to, it is a passion to see evil overcome and destroyed. And that's what he does. He gets into that city. He risks his life to that end, and he succeeds. You know who Frodo represents in the stories? Anybody tell me? Jesus. This is Jesus, right? And we need to be like the Lord himself. We have got to get to that place where we say, I'm not going to shrink back. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to discover the empowerment of the Spirit of God in my life, knowing the circumstance, and I'm going to go forward, and I'm going to crush through my life, through our lives. We're going to crush the gates of Mordor. We're going to see evil overcome in this world, and we're going to see the kingdom of God come in power. And I'm basically here today to ask each follower of Jesus in this place, is that what your life is about? And it's really easy to say, oh, I found Jesus and I'm going to heaven and, you know, I have a great church and I meet with him on Sundays, but my life otherwise is about, well, you fill in the blank. Well, what I want to tell you, biblically speaking, that your life is about overcoming the power of evil that has taken hold in this world, has taken hold in the lives of people. Seeing the power of evil defeated, seeing the giant lying flat in his face in the dirt with a stone in his head. How are we doing, do you think, here at IPC? Hmm, what do you think about that? You know, this past Tuesday night, uh, I, along with the rest of the staff, went down to Picnic by the River. That's our Dundas Street Woodstock ministry where we care for love. A lot of people who really need a lot of love, bottom line. There's a meal that's prepared. Everybody helps prepare it, and then everybody eats it together, and then we talk, they talked about Jesus, talked about prayer specifically that night. And I want to tell you it was a beautiful thing to see the loving community that has formed over the course of three years. And I think our Joyce Dugier of Anderspeck needs credit for this because she's given her life to this thing. It's a wonderful thing to see this ministry uh, of ours impacting people so that they come to know that they are loved people who often don't experience much of it otherwise. And it's a wonderful thing to see these people come to love one another, and it's a wonderful thing to see them coming to know the love of God and to experience it and to embrace it. I want to tell you, as we uh, formed Picnic by the River, as we call it now, 
we went forward and the gates of hell crumbled just a little more. You know, I think of Pitch and Praise. We get a bunch of kids there this weekend. It's a retreat, and they hear these great bands and have their hearing racked, and they hear these wonderful speakers talking about Jesus in a way that's incredibly relevant to them. You know what we hope? We hope this weekend, maybe even today or tomorrow, if it wasn't yesterday or the day before, that these kids' lives are transformed, and they come to believe in Christ like they never have before, and they give themselves to following him with their whole heart. And as that happens, whether it's, by the way, there or here this morning, the gates of hell crumble just that much more. And the, and the giant falls flat in his face because the Lord has taken hold of a life and set them free. I think about the Jala family that we all contributed to, or many of us. Is, are the Jalas here? Where's Victoria? There she is. And we hope you've, we've blessed you, Right? And you know what? The reality is that we helped a family that was in desperate need a year ago. We we're in a really tough spot, and we said, we're going to do something in the name of Jesus. And we acted. And that family came from Liberia or Cote d'Ivoire, I'm not sure which. And they've been given a new life in Canada. And we have loved them, and they've loved us, and they've become part of us. It's a beautiful thing. And as the Church of Christ acted, the gates of hell crumbled that much more. I think about the ministry we do in Nicaragua, sending like 60 grand a year. That's a, that's a chunk of cash, right? But we are, we are empowering the church and Christian schools on the ground to, to proclaim Christ. And as we do so, the gates of hell crumble in the advance of, of the church of Jesus. We just help that church down there do their work. You get it? I could go on. I think in lots of ways, we're doing pretty well i think a kids camp oh it's just kids camp kids come and have fun you know you know little kids come into this church and they hear about jesus who don't hear about him otherwise do you know that and it seems every year we have a family or two or three i don't know what the number is but which become part of us and they come to believe in jesus and their lives are set free from the power of the giant and the gates of hell crumble that much more And I, th I think about, <laughs> I wanted to tie this in with the work we do in Nicaragua. We make a difference in other parts of this world, which I'm not going to mention, right? Through funding. And the gates of hell crumble. A couple of, couple of conclusion, concluding points, I suppose, question again. How is your heart? How is your heart when you encounter the reality of Goliath in your world, in your own life personally, in the life of our community here, Oxford County, and the life of this world generally, our country and beyond? Is there a holy defiance that rises up and a holy determination to live your life for God, to become that person like David who was filled with God's power because of the anointing of God, so much so that the Spirit of God could do mighty things through you and through us? Um, I hope that that defiance is there. And I hope that that desire to be caught up in the things of God and to be used by God is there. And final point, I've already said it to you. I just, I just know that God's intention is that every single one of you who claim faith in Jesus, his heart's desire is that you become a mighty warrior for him. 
Have you ever thought of yourself in that way? <laughs> I can be powerful in the hand of God to bring change to this world and to free this world from the grasp of the enemy. We can be powerful <laughs> in the hand of God to free this world from the grasp of the enemy. Someday Jesus Christ will return in power and he will establish his kingdom across the world and this, this world will be a very different world. Justice will be the norm. Right? No more oppression. Violence will have its end. Someday evil will literally be destroyed, so Revelation tells us. People will know and believe in and follow in the ways of God. My friends, I want to tell you if, you, if you think we're supposed to wait for that reality to form in this world until he returns, you're wrong. We are to give ourselves with great conviction to forming that reality now so that people might come to know the Lord Jesus, so that people might find life in him, so that the chains of the enemy can be broken, so that they can be set free to enjoy, enjoy the abundant life that Jesus died to give them. And you know that, how that happens? Through us. It's us, empowered by God, anointed by his spirit, running at the enemy and seeing him defeated. I say, enter into the fight. Be prepared to do all in your power to live for the kingdom of God and its coming. And as you do, God will enable you and he will make you into a mighty warrior. No kidding. I'm not kidding. He will exercise his authority and his power through you for his own glory and that his will might be accomplished. Let's pray. Oh, God, it is so easy to just uh, sit back and to uh, accept things the way they are and to forget not only about the reality in which we live, but, Lord, forget that you want to use us in a powerful way to make a difference in this world. God, I pray for every follower of Jesus in this room today. I pray that you will anoint them with your Holy Spirit. I pray that they will understand the, re the nature of the battle which they are in, and I pray, Lord, that you will give them a holy defiance to say, no more, no more will I leave this alone and, and leave it unengaged. God, free us from being like the Israelite army and empower us and enable us to run at the enemy so that he falls in defeat in the advance of the kingdom of God through the church. God, bless us in this. Enable us in this. Use us in this so that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our God, this we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Will you stand to your feet with us?